listening to the Uloft Podcast, presented by United IUP, a community of college students and young adults in Indiana, Pennsylvania, who are dedicated to unite with each other and Christ to change the world around us. We hope that this podcast raises questions and answers others, while ultimately starting a conversation to discover unifying biblical truth in this chaotic world. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the ULOF podcast, episode number 24. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Bond, and I'm sitting here with Kendall Kersey. What is up? And Caleb Fugate. Hey. We are recording on a Wednesday morning after a U-Night at the Indiana Theater. I think I can speak for most of the people who were there when I say it was a powerful experience of worship and relationship. If you have not yet attended a U-Night, you can do so Tuesday evenings at 7.27 p.m. at the Indiana Theater. You can find Mm -hmm. all of this information and more at unitediup.com. So today we have a very interesting and very important topic to unpack. Uh, The question is... What should be the primary roles of the church in the development of a healthy society? And I think maybe the first place we should start off with is what does a healthy society look like? Because we know that out-of-order priorities cause... Out-of-order societies. That's right. Nice. You were going to steal it. Yeah. You just set it up. I actually forgot what the back half of the quote was. No, I was going to wait. I was going to see what happened. (laughs) Yeah. So I I got out-of-order priorities and I forgot what the other part of the quote was. So I just stopped. And then hoped that you guys yeah, would finish it. That we was got good. you. We well, got your back. I gave that to you guys. So there okay. you go. Yeah. So also, you want to say it again or no? Out of order priorities create. Out of order societies. Boom. Wow. On a side note, great episode number. Favorite NASCAR driver, Jeff Gordon, 24. Just throwing wow. that out there. Dude, oh, I'm yeah. from the South. I don't even like NASCAR. Is it from your time? I, uh, to be fair, I haven't North watched Carolina? NASCAR in... <laughs> I don't know, 10 years. Let's see your time in North Carolina. That's I think, what uh, no, actually, it was just like <laughs> Sunday afternoons, nothing better to do but nap and watch NASCAR <laughs> yeah. in think, February. I think 24 was Brian Giles on the Pirates, too. Mm. I don't oh, know. good old Giles. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> nothing to do with creating yeah. society. It's a great, uh, it's well, a great show. Know, maybe 24 NASCAR. is a great show. Yeah, yeah it Kiefer is. Sutherland? I, don't I mean, think I've never seen it. Bro. No. How have you never watched 24? I'm not a big TV person. Well, this is all about the CIA and like, are you stuff. not a big TV person? Like you're not into big TVs or you're not <laughs> he likes, big. He only likes in, to watch stuff on the phone. Are you not big into TV? <laughs> <laughs> I prefer to spend my free time studying the word of God. Wow. Okay, good. Well, why yeah. don't you tell us the answer to this question then, Michael, <laughs> since you study more than we do and we're watching 24. Uh, so <laughs> <And> Jeff Gordon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that a healthy society looks something like uh, incentivizing competence, but also not allowing people who are dispossessed by hierarchies to fall by the wayside, you know, and, and sort of just letting them, letting them be ignored and letting their needs go unmet. I think that the needs need to be met voluntarily by Christians, Mm. preferably out of the love of their Christian hearts. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that when that doesn't happen, you end up with, uh, a draw towards something like communism, something like socialism, where because it's not happening voluntarily, it ends up happening by way of force. Mm. Because let's face it, some of the uh, the issues that are trying to be addressed by those forms of governance are real issues, and they are being unaddressed. They're, they're not being addressed by the church, by people voluntarily, uh, whatever it is. And so I think that we don't want to lose the incentive for competence, but... 
we also want to look out for people who are dispossessed by hierarchies because some people just can't compete in certain areas. Right. Uh, you know, a Jeep isn't going to beat a Ferrari, you know, in a, in a race unless it's in mud. <laughs> but okay <laughs> i mean you're right That's well no I, so i actually want to i want to ask you i'll deepen your question and you said what is a healthy society well i mean what are we talking are we talking economically are we talking uh you know um de democratically like what are we talking about from a healthy society because um i think that's where you have to start because should the church really be um influencing um should the church be influencing the economy? Should the church be influencing uh, education? Should the church mm -hmm. be influencing uh, government? Like what, I think that's what we have to do first is say, okay, but what, what part of society are you talking about? The way, the social structure, the way that we interact with each other or everything else? So I can think of three areas uh, off the bat where the church, I think, has abdicated its responsibility, uh, Ooh, like that word. has outsourced its responsibility to mm -hmm. other institutions where I think the church would be better served in taking care of these things themselves. So the first is sense making. I think that the church has allowed their congregations to turn to the media for sense making. And so when I say sense making, I mean, like, how do I make sense of what's happening around me right now? And um, I think that too many people have turned toward the media and are therefore interpreting the things that happen around them through a political framework rather mm -hmm. than through a theological th framework. And that might be because of the content of the sermons and the churches in the West, like not wanting to address current events, not wanting to uh, make the effort. It takes a lot of effort to sense make, you know, to yeah. make sense of things. It, it, you well, have to study a lot. But do you think, sorry, go ahead. I had a question on that. Not only that, but it's like, okay, um, if you went back... 400 years, your news outlets that made sense came around almost never, right? Like you had no sense-making apparatus other than the church, right? <clears throat> the problem is nowadays we have news 24-7. Like you can flip on the news at any point in the day and you they will be telling you something. You have immediate and always access to that. The church is not pumping out sense making information 24 7 and part of me is like i'm not convinced we necessarily should be either mm -hmm. right so it, it's challenging because we're working against a a system that is designed paid for people make careers out of it where their job is to make sense of things 24 7 right and like that's not the job of a pastor per se right like the the job of the church is to equip people um that outside of the time that they spend with the pastor, outside of the time that they spend with their leaders, outside of the time that they spend with the church, that they are equipped to make sense on their own time, mm -hmm. right? Like through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So it's like, we've got news 24 seven. We've got church once a week that hopefully is equipping you to make sense of, I don't know why I'm doing these hand gestures. People can't see. <laughs> <laughs> For those, I'm making a lot of hand gestures right now. No, none of you He's can see. He's flailing his arms around like crazy. <laughs> But it's like the church, I'm not convinced the the timing mechanism of, of sense making, um, our world just works differently and I'm not so convinced our church should be in the business of making sense of things 24 seven because um, that just makes really incompetent Christians. Right, right. Paul talks about going from um, Christians who feed on milk and have to be fed as children, which, I mean, you got to start somewhere. That's not a bad thing. It's just you don't want to stay as a child. One of the things that 
makes a child a child is that they can't feed themselves, right? Mm -hmm. um, and Paul says, you need to become an adult. You need to eat meat and you need to be able to feed yourself. Right, so if the church was always making sense of things 24-7, like the news outlets do, um, we would have childish Christians, I think, even to a significantly more degree than we do now. And I'm, I'm, I'm dubious about that. Now, in saying that, that doesn't mean the church shouldn't be making sense of things. And sometimes we do it poorly, or sometimes we just ignore things altogether. But like we're, we're fighting a battle that I'm not sure we should even be in that particular battle, like against news, so to speak, because we're just playing different games. Yeah, I think that uh, the reason I'm glad you said that, because what I was going to say, you, you you specified in the West, this is what we do, or this is, uh, you know, some of the sermon structure in the West or whatever. Like I go to, OK, the underground churches. Like, are they trying to make sense of what's going on around them or are they preaching the gospel and saying it doesn't matter if you make sense of it or not, because we've got to view everything in the light of the gospel, in the light of the hope that there is hope uh, after this life, and in the light that we've got to reach people for Jesus no matter what, like that nothing else matters except for right. the gospel. Like, I don't know, I'm obviously not there, I don't know um, if they're trying to make sense of the, of the pandemic. Are they trying to make sense of political uh, uh, unrest? Are they trying to make sense of why do we live in a communist society or why do we live in a terroristic society? Like, I don't know that they're trying to make sense of that. I think they're simply trying to preach the gospel, preach the good news, read God's word and focus on that and not get bogged down with the worries of this world. Now, that being said, you were right. There are some things that we completely ignore that I think are societal issues that aren't news issues. And those are like, um, identity issues, right? Like right. they, they are adverse to the gospel. Like the news most of the time, I would say, if they're actually just reporting what's going on, it's not adverse to the gospel. It's not um, It's not adverse to, uh, you know, I think what the Bible says or what God is wanting to do. But as soon as something is adverse and an agenda, quote unquote, is being pushed, I'll say right. it that way, an agenda is being pushed that is adverse to the gospel or that is adverse to the truth of God's word, that's, I think, when we preach truth. And it's not that we have to try to make sense of it. It's simply that we preach truth and we focus everything under the lens of what does God's word say? Not necessarily trying to make sense of every single thing that's going on around us, I guess. Yeah. Well, and, and so the, the idea of sense making, like even, so the ability to interpret things within the light of the gospel and eternity, even in the midst of, let's say, go back to your analogy, underground churches, like that is sense making. It's saying, um, there is terrible political unrest and there are people knocking on our doors waiting to kill us. And the sense that we make out of that is it's going to be okay because my light and momentary afflictions pale in comparison to the glory that is to come. Right? Yeah. Like that yeah. is sense making. I think the problem is the church has handed, has not handed over. They have a lot of times failed in genuinely discipling people in discernment. Mm, I think yeah. that is where we have failed, right? Like if you know how to look at, so part of the church's job is for to, to train people um, to look at the world and say, this is how God is moving and the spirit is moving. I'm not convinced most of our church people know how to do that. I'm not convinced I know how to do that mm -hmm. a lot of the times, right? And so it, that's like, that's how you get 24 hour 
so to speak, sense making where it's like, yeah, we've got a pandemic going on. We have riots going on. We've got, um, you know, political unrest overseas going on. We've got countries blaming each other going on right now. We've got people dying in the streets right now. We've got um, police brutality going on right now. Like if the church never trained you how to think about those things, you will default to what the world tells you to think about those things. But if the if the church instills in you a sense of discernment, you can say like, okay, I can take any one of these issues and see how the gospel is at play in it and see how it's not. I can see what the meat is in the situation and I can see what the bones are and I need to be able to leave the bones and take the meat. Yeah, like, it goes back the, to that equipping you talked yeah, about. Like that's, that's the important thing. That's the sense making. It's yeah. not it's not like a I need to have something being told to me 24/7. It's a I need to be able to see what is truly going on in any of these given topics um, because of discernment and seeing like what the spirit is up to in the midst of that. Right. Yeah. Like any Christian should be able to, and I, I actually talked about this with the youth group over at uh, grace Methodist church. Cause uh, you know, kids are talking about these things. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about like police brutality and we're talking about the defund the police movement. Right. Um, and, and, and a lot of students had very visceral reactions to that one way or another. Um, and, and I said, well, like we need to be able to discern what is good in the midst of that and what is bad in the midst of that. Right. And I, I, I was like, I can think of one thing that regardless of how you feel about this as a Christian, you should be able to say, this is a good thing. You know what it is? Accountability. That is a deeply Christian response to something. That people need to be able to see. People need to be able to look at that and say, you know what? Holding people accountable for doing wrong is something that everyone should be able to uphold and listen to. But if you can't, like, look at that scenario and say, oh, here's something good in the midst of that. Here are the bad things in the midst of that. You you have no idea how to make sense of anything, right? And we as a church have failed in being able to do that. Okay, so what I hear you both saying, I think, is that the sense-making is important but it should be happening by way of equipping each individual believer so that they, when they go out into the world, they can have discernment so that they can pull apart information in a way that is theologically sound and mm -hmm. is edifying and good for their faith and good for their worldview and all of that. Um, and I, I don't disagree in principle, but I think the fact that so many of our Christians are governed by political ideology right now is symptomatic of a problem of uh, either that equipping is not happening or there is a distinction, a genuine authentic distinction between shepherds and sheep. And I'm not sure, you know, why is it that people defer to uh, Tucker Carlson to find out what to think about the news? Cause like Kendall, you said, if it's just news, then it's pretty much just news. Right. But so much of the media now reporting of what happened, yeah. it's like, yeah, right. Deal. Like so much of the media now, the, the most, the biggest names in media uh, spend most of their time telling you what to think about certain things. Great. And I like, why did they get so popular in doing that? Is it because people are too lazy to equip themselves or is it because there's just a distinction between shepherds and sheep? And are we allowing these figureheads to be shepherds in ways that we aren't doing it? I think that there is something to be said where, I and mean, we talked about it last night at United, like, where our opinions and our preferences have to die. And I don't believe that that is something that is being taught very often. Like, I think a lot of what's being taught in the Western world, especially, 
in America is that um, Christ died for your freedom and that includes your American rights and your American freedom. Ooh, yeah. uh, like, you know, and I do, that's not true. So like, no. sorry, that's just not true. And um, in fact, I, sometimes Christ requires you to give up your freedom yes, of speech. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes uh, Jesus requires you to give up some of your rights, yeah. you know, to better serve him and to better serve the gospel. And I think what ends up happening is that we've interwoven, especially in the Western world. I'm just going to look at that. We've interwoven the gospel into our American society because our forefathers founded um, the nation on Christianity. Um, they, we've taken that and twisted it and said Christianity is based on America (laughs) instead of America was based on Christianity. Right. Right. We flipped that. And so that's, that's just, it's just become twisted. And I think that's the reason why we look to these people, whether they be um, news outlets or whether they be political uh, party leaders or presidents or whatever, we look to them because um, I think because our spiritual leaders are not doing a good job of illuminating what the gospel really is and illuminating what it really means to live a life that is fully devoted and laid down for Christ, like, or laid down for one another or whatever. Like, I think that we need to do a better job as pastors, and I can point the finger at myself as pastors to, I think you hit the nail on the head, to equip people to discern properly, is this advancing the kingdom or is it doing nothing for the kingdom? So maybe fundamentally, this is a discussion about priesthood of all believers or about like, uh, mm. you know, it, having a class of believers or a segment of believers that are set apart to because of their advanced ability for discernment and their avan- advanced ability to accurately divide the word of truth and so on. Like, um, so the issue that I have with the... Uh, sort of the patriotic flavor that comes with Christianity today um, with that being the root cause is that left-wingers do this too. And left-wingers have a a particularly fierce animus towards the foundation of our country and towards patriotism and those sorts of things. And so like, it seems to me to be an issue of either I'm unwilling to equip myself for discernment because it's hard or I'm not able to. In which case, I'm going to turn to someone who sounds authoritative and sounds confident and sound, you know, and is bringing. I think probably if we're going to equip ourselves to do it, it would be by having the word of God resident in Mm -hmm. us. And I think that's how Jesus makes sense of things in the New Testament. Have you not read? Have you not read? Um, But I know that I've met Christians that like they just they don't approach the word of God the same way that pastors do. It's a lot harder for them. The mountain is way steeper, and so. I but there's some pastors who don't do that. I think there's, and I don't mean to to stop you there, but like there are some pastors who, as you said, got into the pastoral ship for the cupcakes and sweater vests. Yes. Like it's just because like, <laughs> well, that's the path I'm going to take, but they're not even equipped. Like they haven't spent the time to really equip themselves or mm-hmm. haven't had the leaders above them to equip them. Mm-hmm. And so like it's, it's this problem that continue continually perpetuates it's cyclical because from the top down we need better 
um, <laughs> better leaders to equip each other to yeah. equip the people coming behind them in the truth of God's word. Cause that's really what it boils down to like understanding the truth of God's word. And if you don't understand the truth of God's word, then you're not going to understand how to discern anything that goes on in this world or that goes on in your life. Yeah. And then, and not having, so I was, uh, I mentioned this uh, last podcast. I, last week I studied through um, Psalm 119 mm. and it was every single day. It's a long one. It's a very long one, which is why we split it up through seven days. <laughs> <laughs> um, but every single day you read about 15 verses or so, 15, 20 verses. And every single verse is talking about, I love your word. Your mm -hmm. word is truth. Your word guides me. The only way for me to stay pure is to cling to your word. If I didn't have your word, I would be dead. And it is so, it's its odd, or not odd, it's ironic and really cool that it's in the dead center of the Bible, Psalm 119. It is the longest chapter that we have in the Bible. It has the most verses. And what does it talk about? The word of God. And mm -hmm. not just the word of God. This dude who wrote Psalm 119 didn't even have the fullness of the Bible that we have today. He basically had the Pentateuch. Like he are, yeah, and maybe not even that much. Like he had, didn't even have access to an entire gospel. It had not even happened yet. Right, Jesus, and this, Jesus wasn't there yet. Yeah. And he loved the word of God so much that it kept him on the right path. It kept him going towards the right things. It helped him put perspective of what was going on around him. And you can also see in Psalm 119 that this dude is going through some kind of incredible turmoil. Like he even talks about how he's about to lose his life and he clings to God's word. And as I was reading that, I was just reminded about the importance of God's word. Like I love worship. I love music. I love that stuff, but it is much less important than the word of God. Yeah. It is much less important. Even prayer. Oh, step on people's toes. Even prayer is not as important as getting in the word of God and having an understanding because you can't pray and you can't worship if you don't understand who God is and how to right. approach him and, and the reason why you can approach him and, and, and what to pray for even. Yeah. Right? Like it's impossible unless you study the word of God. Well, and the other failure there is that when we say getting in the word of God, I think a lot of church going folk assume <laughs> that means Sunday morning when the preacher preaches. Yeah. That is getting into the word of God. And that it's ain't like, enough. That, that, not only is that enough, but I don't think that's it at all. Right? No. Like when the psalmist was writing that, he was not thinking about someone standing up on a Sunday morning espousing what they think about this particular <laughs> Oh, scripture. Lord, I love your sermons. Yeah. He was like, let me open up Deuteronomy and I will show you how much I love this because it reveals a God who is in control of my life, right? Like that's, and not just like any God, but a caring and loving God who brought our people out of slavery and condemnation mm -hmm. and sin and all sorts of things and um and delivered us right like that's the kind of god we serve but <clears throat> most people aren't spending the time to actually get into the word and have said eh, sunday morning's enough yeah so this is getting interesting okay the second uh primary role that i think that uh, the church would play in the formation of a healthy society is through like individual development equipping discipleship that kind of thing and i think it's been outsourced to the universities um I think that the path of least resistance to broadening your horizons and developing your worldview is in the universities, which is why people go to the universities and, uh, you know, like people who are seeking knowledge and wisdom and that sort of thing. Uh, 
do you think that the church has focused too much on exhortation and too much on the Sunday service and less on uh, the teaching of God's word and the commute and the conversation surrounding it. So I think of like sense making and discipleship, an effective way to do it maybe would be to unpack a passage of scripture in a setting, like a conversational setting and have a conversation with other believers about it and about how it applies to what's happening around them. So you have sense making, you have discipleship, you have practice at good faith conversation because one of the big problems right now is people are unable to have good faith conversations and they defer towards straw mans and these sorts of things. And I think that the way out of that is, is not teaching theory of conversation as much as it is just practicing having conversations with people who disagree with you. And we don't do that with this kind of, uh, uh, one way sermon model that we have on Sunday. And so like keep the exhortation, keep the worship, keep the prayer that happens on Sunday services, but let's add something else like a more intentional, uh, conversational mentor and apprentice style discipleship. I wouldn't point towards like creating seminaries under the umbrella of the local church. I would say that maybe it should be a situation where people have an opportunity to sit down with some pastors and have a conversation about a passage and about their own life. You know what I mean? Like that sort of thing. What do you think? I 100% agree with you. I mean, that's one of the reasons why this year we've taken the time to, and we can even go further with this, but okay. At United, this is one of the reasons why we do this thing right here, the podcast. That's one of the reasons. It's one of the reasons why this year we started posting, and we've been two weeks in, but we're going to continue this. We've started posting follow-up questions after the sermon, and it says on our Instagram, on our story, screenshot these and talk with someone you trust. Now, we can go a little further and, and then say to our leaders or our pastors, like, go find someone and ask them these questions and then also answer them yourself. But like we're trying to equip even in that. And I think, yes, we can go further, but I think that's a part of it. And the the church as a whole absolutely needs to do that. I mean, you look at uh, the, I mean, the best discipler ever, ever was Jesus, right? So um, <laughs> undisputed champion of discipling, uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> he, um, the way that he did things was, you know, when you read through the gospel, there were some times when he was preaching in front of a crowd, but a lot of his teachings happened in those quiet times with the, with the disciples walking around, you know, them arguing about who's going to be greatest. And then Jesus drops a bomb on them. Like, you know, like that's, yep. those are the times when we see that. So, so there is definitely need for both. Jesus preached to the masses, but he also took people aside and talked to them um, just through their everyday life. And I think that, yes, the church needs to do that. We, we quickly became about the gathering, right? And, and forsook the one-on-one or the conversation. And yeah, it's almost impossible. And even in today's society in general, okay, if we're going to talk about society, today's society in general, even if it's not about the Bible, nobody has conversations. They post a link for you to read or listen to, and then they move on. Ooh. Or they post a comment and they leave. Yeah. Like, and they don't return back to that comment. And so even the art of conversation as a whole, not even in the church, but as a whole is being completely lost because you can say what you want to say, or you can post what you want to post and you can walk out the door and never come back Yeah, and not have to, not have to talk about it. Yeah. 
yeah, the democratization of information has allowed uh, every individual to essentially become a talking head, like a news anchor almost. Yeah. I mean, you have a big enough following on Twitter. You know, what's funny about these social media sites is that like somebody with no following, when they make a post, it's in the same format in the same text as somebody with a million followers. And so it makes the posts look kind of the same, like kind of credible, you know, yeah. like it, it if, if somebody who has 5 million followers makes a post on Twitter and then you get underneath and reply, like your post looks the same, even though there's like a, a world of difference between the two people probably in terms of what they know and, you know, what their uh, abilities are and that sort of thing. Not to say that a big following on Twitter is an indication of your knowledge or abilities because there's lots of people who have <laughs> followings who have neither of those things. Uh, but it is kind of odd that people prefer, like you said, to just uh, put out the little bits of opinion um, and not have the conversation. And man, conversation can be hard because it it exposes your insufficiencies. You know, like you talk to two people who are able to have a conversation on the same level that you like, you're going to probably find some insufficiencies and find some areas where you're wrong. And that's painful. You got to have humility in order to do that. And you also have to. So one of the things I've thought a lot about conversations is that when people have conversations, oftentimes their goal is not to get closer to the truth. Their goal is to advance their position in the social hierarchy. And they do that by like mic drops and by yeah. avoiding getting mic dropped on. Yeah. And so that's like a shadow boxing that ends up happening in, in the <laughs> we're conversation. In a, we're in a conversational rap battle is what we're really in. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, the church has turned into wild and out and like, that's it. <laughs> Oh, Bro, that is such an old. I, I'm so glad you know about what it is. By the way, it's not wild and out. It's wild and out. You got to say it the right like way. The the end goes with the wild. Yeah, like you can't freaking. It's not it, wild <laughs> space apostrophe. You are wilding, N. son. Like it's not apostrophe <laughs> N. Like you're missing the A and the D. Sorry. It's like wilding. W I L D I N. Wild and out. Drop the I. Put an apostrophe N out. Wild and out. No, not that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So like, and if ninety um, percent of the people listening to this will have no, if maybe even higher, will have no idea what the heck he's talking. So yeah, that's true. Uh, Nick Cannon, MTV, uh, yeah. two thousand and what seven to like fourteen. Check it out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some of you were like four. <laughs> Wow. Uh, okay. So <laughs> in a church culture that uh, has promoted the Sunday service and has shaped Christians who uh, feel compelled to only be at church on Sunday, how do we reintroduce the conversation? Because small groups aren't cutting it. I mean, they're not cutting it. And that's why we're seeing people in the church uh, take more seriously what the talking heads are saying in the media than what they do, uh, it, sometimes what's being preached on Sunday. I mean, so think of the Christians who will come in and amen and and hear the message, but then go home and get on social media and repeat the buzzwords that come from the media. That's happening all over the place. And that to me is symptomatic of, you uh, guys get amens in your sermon. (laughs) (laughs) I think that that's symptomatic of, uh, the small group model happening throughout the week maybe is, isn't sufficient for, promoting these good faith conversations and these edifying conversations. And so one of the things that I thought about is what if you had like breakouts, breakout sessions on a Sunday and you had food, you know, and you had like, Hey, no eating, no meeting. 
that's, that's literally Dude, my... we used to call them afterglows uh, back in the day. That's what, afterglow. like, my philosophy for doing anything in church. Like, if I have a church council meeting or something at my churches, there there will be food. Like, I do, I do not allow... There will be food. ...not food to be there. Yeah, and I, I think that sharing a meal together, I mean, it already puts you in a place of, of uh, you know, friendship and fellowship and... I just think that that might be a good way to, like I said, I think that the way to the capacity for good faith conversation comes through having enough of them to where you figure out how to do it. And then you also have to have the motives, which is a heart thing. And I think, you know, I don't know if we can do anything about that. Uh, but yeah, so individual development and discipleship, I think that's been largely outsourced to the universities and can maybe, I, Oh, I'm not, I was actually going to say, I'm going to derail the whole conversation. Cause I want to get back to that university question. And then you brought it full circle. So good on you. Um, one of the things that I, strikes me is that I don't think the, so the impulse for the university is actually a Christian historical thing, right? Like, that every university, not every, a vast majority of universities were started mm -hmm. as um, places first to train pastors, and then they evolved into things that are more than that now, right? But it's like Harvard was a Christian university when it started. Yale was a Christian university when it started. Um, <coughs> that, And I only know this because I'm Methodist, so I know my own history. Like Methodists when they they were like the first group of people to kind of move out west and expand as everything was expanding and you can drive out into the middle of nowhere and you will probably find a methodist church and a dollar general um <laughs> probably <laughs> in, in out middle of nowhere you'll find one of those two both of those things often right but when methodists went they they usually put started three things they started a church they started a hospital and they started a university right which is why there's a million blah, 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 Wesleyan University, mm -hmm. Indiana Wesleyan, Ohio Wesleyan, Wisconsin Wesleyan, you know, all of these. Duke was a Methodist school. Mm -hmm. There's so many. It's it's an impulse in the Christian church, it seems like, to educate people, which is a good thing, um, but do it in a particular manner, right? Um a lot of the people that we revere as like important Christian, like Martin Luther professor uh john calvin professor right like a lot of the people that we have a lot of in the anglican church a lot of those uh, the archbishops were professors right like they spent time in the university because they knew it's like okay we can train people in the church um but when they go and get educated we don't want to lose the ground there all that we have done we want to continue that on and say when we train people we want to do it in a particular way mm -hmm. and we're fine on the training part we have lost that particular flavor in the midst of that right like you go to harvard you can't tell at all like i i don't know if a lot of people going to harvard right now know that it started as like a a, a christian university yeah. right same with duke uh i went there for three years and i'm your average undergrad student had no idea that a random methodist said <coughs> hey this would be good to start a university here and so we did yeah uh like we just don't know that anymore. It's just lost in the history because it's the, the particular flavor, right? It's like we want to educate people, but we want to educate them in a particular way. We have lost that. And yeah. so I, I'm not convinced it is the church. Like the church should not be teaching people mathematics. 
right? Because the only thing pastors know are three, seven, 40, 12. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like that is not my job. So how did the church get separated then from the, the university tradition or even the monastic tradition? So like, I think that, I think that Harvard, uh, the student body at Harvard just elected an atheist to be their official chaplain. They did. They did. That's kind of weird. Well, and I think part of the reason, <laughs> not it's very weird. It's odd, but it's like they said, we are such a diverse group of multi-religious and atheist people that we want someone who can kind of catch it all. So they said, yeah. an atheist can catch it all. It's, yeah. Interestingly enough, the most diverse organization, both politically, ethnically, racially, socioeconomically, is the church, right? Mm-hmm. We We are, right? Like we have... I mean, whether all of these people are genuinely Christians or not, and whether it's nominal, like almost, I think it's like 1.7%, one, no, not 1.7, uh, one, let's see, 1 billion, 700 million people on the planet Earth would claim to be Christians from everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like we are by fact the most diverse in every single category organization on this planet, right? And we uh, never do do anything to promote that, right? Like, I should be able to say, like, hey, here are some brothers and sisters from Uganda. And I'd say that because we were talking about that earlier. And it's like, we should be, like, learning from each other. Mm-hmm. Part of it is, like, it's hard to fly to Uganda. Um, cost money and all those types of things. But, right, we are not sharing with each other, yeah. right? We, we talk about churches being, like, super white, you know, kind of problematic racially, all sorts of different things going on not diverse enough. And it's mm-hmm. like, but if you take a, a whole picture thing, it's like, yeah. we are by far the most diverse. We aren't trading information with each other. Yeah. We aren't sharing with each other, partly because it's hard. Um, partly because some people, if they do that, they die. Um, right. Like in some places of the world, you can't say like, Oh, yeah. I'm a Christian. Cause you'll get whacked. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are the most diverse and we've done nothing to actually learn from that diversity as a large group. Yeah, and I feel like, man, that's such a good point because I feel like that diversity is being capitalized on by political ideology, which is why we're starting to get siloed. Like why certain churches are becoming left-wing and certain churches are becoming right-wing and they're no longer calling each other churches anymore. let's look at then the original question because I'm sure we're getting uh, close on time, but let's look at the original question then on the society thing and think about the fact that if we are all super diverse. One of the issues is that the Western church thinks that it is the only church, right? Like we we completely forget that uh, we are a small percentage and that there are people all across the world who are Christians. You just mentioned it, right? And I think that is one of the biggest issues or even um, roadblocks into the church as a whole, big C church, um, Truly being able to influence society as a whole, like a world society, is because we think of ourselves in these little factions. It's exactly what we were talking about last night, about not really uniting underneath what matters, but saying, well, this is what our preference is, and this is how we do things culturally, and so you know, we are the right ones, and we know what we're talking about. And in fact, we know what we're talking about so much, we're going to send missionaries to your country (laughs) into your continent and yeah into your culture and tell you to do things like us because you obviously should be like us i remember i was having a conversation with one of my church members and we were talking about the crisis on the border 
um, and they were hard for kind of making sure people don't get across the border. Um, and I started this conversation, uh, to be fair, this was kind of mean. I started this conversation without telling them what I was actually going to be talking about with them because they posted something on Facebook and I saw that and I wanted to talk to them about it. And I just came up to them and I was like, if, a, if a, a someone walked off the streets, came to your house, knocked on the door and said, hey, I, I'm homeless, um, I, I need some food, I'm traveling right now, um, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, like I, I love Jesus, you know, got a Bible with me, love to do a devotional with you tonight, pray with you tonight, <coughs> even in the midst of that. Would you let them into your house? And my church member was like, yeah, of course. I, I love Christians. Why wouldn't I do that? And I was like, there are Christians on the border <laughs> right now who are trying to get in that you're saying cannot come in, right? People that are closer, theoretically, and not theoretically, spiritually, scripturally, biblically speaking, those people are closer to you than your own family. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's like, that's the paradox and the hard part of the Bible. It's like that person I've never met on the border right now who's trying to get in, that Afghani who's trying to come over here who is a Christian who I've never met before is closer to me and should be more important to me in regards to my care for them than some of my own family members. Right. Yeah. And I would never turn away in my own family member to come into my house. Right. And yet we do that all the time because we have let the priority of American statehood override mm -hmm. the priority of the church and the gospel yeah. right yeah and that's hard and yeah. i imagine that's very hard for people from texas <laughs> it is yeah well, you live because, on the border right well there yeah no you're right every I, day. I know people who are directly affected adversely yeah uh from uh, being from texas like i know people yeah. who are like i can say it from pennsylvania because yeah. it's like but I, yeah, like I've lived that and seen that stuff, right. right? Like I know people who work at the border. Like yeah. I know that. I know what's going on. And you're right. It's even hard for me to hear you say that. I know you're right. But it's there's hard, even something right? in me that's like, well, but but America. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the problem though. Like I think in, to put your question into context about society is that we can't think about, we need to build a better Western society because we don't. We need to build the kingdom of heaven and that is the most important thing and that is global and that is not local or national and there are too many people in general who who interweave their christianity with their nationalism yeah. and that cannot happen like there are great things that happen in america i love america i love yeah. the freedom that we have good place but i will and i would fight i would fight for america i would do it i didn't I didn't sign up because God had a different plan for me, but I had every one of my friends in, in high school signed up to fight for the freedom for Americans. And I a hundred percent back that, but I'm not going to say that my belief in America trumps my belief in the gospel or that my safety in America trumps the belief in the gospel. Yeah. I will not do that. So I think that the antidote to the nationalistic Christianity, the most popular antidote that's on offer is actually the wrong one. Um, and this might be a pretty unpopular opinion, but I can't, if, if I'm is wrong. This a hot take moment? Well, just <laughs> I'm think, excited. think about it. The, it seems to me the popular solution to the nationalistic Christianity is to celebrate diversity of culture within the faith. I think that's the wrong answer. I don't think we should be celebrating culture at all. I think that we should be. So here's why. Um, <clears throat> The reason why people get siloed is because 
what they have and what they identify with is their culture and the word of God is not in them because they haven't studied it enough. They haven't been, it hasn't been taught enough. Mm -hmm. The word of God transcends all of those things. It should be the case that I should be able to go to Uganda and sit with a well-educated Christian who has the word of God in them. And I should feel at home with them right away because of our commonality in the word of God. Um, And, but we're not focusing on that as I feel like the knee jerk reaction to the nationalistic Christianity is okay, well, we need to be uh, tolerant of diversity within yeah. the church and cultural diversity and celebrate the differences about each other. It's like, no, no. we should celebrate the word of God. And it happens right. to be transcendent. Yeah. So it happens to go I past agree. all of that stuff. I yeah. agree with you. 100% so, I agree. Now, in saying that, I think you should also, <laughs> if you go to Uganda and are at home with someone because what you believe is the same thing and what you're interested in are the same things, you, know, you should probably enjoy their food. I think mm-hmm. that's part of it, right? Like that's <laughs> yeah. the, the, but the that's diversity. but that's yeah. But it's you not don't primary. It's yeah, secondary. it's not primary. Yeah. Exactly that, and that's what we talk about, right? That preferences are not primary. They right. cannot be primary, and culture cannot be primary. Yes. That is something that that is well underlying what is the main thing, and that is: are we united on the gospel, on the gospel of Jesus Christ, or not? And that is the key. So that's how yeah. you build a good society: is that you lay everything else at the feet of the cross, and you say at the foot of the cross, and you say. Does this advance the gospel or not? And if yeah. it doesn't, then it doesn't really matter. And yeah. if you can pull that off, then differences in culture, differences in ethnicity, all that stuff become no they, they become just as nominal as differences in hair color and eye color. Yeah. Like we don't yeah. stress over that kind of stuff in the West. Why not? And yeah. I think it's because we've attached so much importance to these other things. And so yeah, yeah. that's that's a great point to end on, Kendall. So I will, um, I will say this. And then you can have another final point. I don't have to have a final point. You got a final Um, word. (laughs) Just to go back in history. So like the Greek, the Greek kind of understanding of democracy was a healthy state is built out of a collective of healthy individuals. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. You are only as strong as each individual person is together. Right. Yeah. A healthy church is only as good. It is never as good as the preachers. Preachers fail every time. It is only as good as the people who are in the church mm-hmm. are in the relationship with God. Yeah. And the problem is we have let, we have said the, the preachers are what's important and the laity are like, Beep. they're like, lady can come and go, but I've yeah. got a real good preacher. Right. So if we want to, if, if we want a healthy society, you got to take healthy individuals and yep. that's going to take the church to do that. And if you want healthy churches, you have to have healthy individuals in the church. A thousand right? percent. And you yeah. do that through discipleship. And you do that through equipping with discernment and you do that through making sure that we know without a doubt that the only main priority is the gospel of Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. and that everything else is subsidiary. Yeah, that's great. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Uloft podcast. I want to encourage you to give this podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it. Do it. Don't forget to come out to the Indiana Theater on 637 Philadelphia Street. 737. It's six. It's six thirty-seven, Philadelphia. Oh, Street. you were giving the address. <laughs> oh, you yeah. messed up his whole script, and I love it. Oh, I love it. He was so happy about this thing he wrote out. He's like, Street. "I'm gonna tighten up this so well. It's, I'm just gonna yeah. read this thing out, and you just mess it up." And I love it because I love. Well, watching I'm him so squirm. used to hearing like number something seven, like seven thirty-seven for like because we meet at seven twenty-seven <laughs> for so Mobby. Yeah. Okay, you could you can go again. Sorry. Yeah, redo. Go. <laughs> Don't forget to come out to the Indiana Theater on 637 Philadelphia Street 
at 7.27 p.m. Tuesday nights. If you can't make it to the theater, you can watch us live on YouTube at United IUP. You can also follow us on Instagram at United IUP. We love you all, and we hope you've benefited from this conversation. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the ULOC podcast presented by United IUP. If you would like to join our community, visit unitediup.com or follow us on Instagram at unitediup. United meets every Tuesday at 727 p.m. in the Indiana Theater located at 637 Philadelphia Street in Indiana, PA. Come live united.